0: This episode was written by Chris Kelly and directed by Scott Winnett. Premiered June 12th of 2016 and I gave this episode an eight out of 10. We're being fed just a little bit more information but for the most part, it is a character building episode, which aren't bad, you know, I gave it an eight out of 10. (laughs) Just not as uh, action heavy as maybe its uh, original pilot we start in houston with tulip meeting up with danny to exchange the map from grail industries keep that in mind for the last known address connecting to an incident in her past in which she watches a car drive away while she screams wait 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 you motherfucker! tulip declines once again to kill danny's husband she calls her husband (laughs) like she was going into this whole ass story about a pig and how it always eats and how she can you know just i'll have some type of you know injury to me not life-threatening but then you go upstairs take what's in the safe just kill him tulip says that the day that she was screaming in that blue dress was the day that it all went wrong for her and jesse and someone has to pay. We now know that someone is named Carlos. Danny drives to a snuff film torture cinema and meets a man in all white. She passes the map to him. He walks away and down a hallway. This is a comic book character many would recognize. At the Sundowner Motel, Fiore and DeBlanc tell Sheriff Root that they are undercover to retrieve an escaped lunatic or prisoner or something of that variety and that it will require them to be left alone as people have died and more will die if they don't succeed sheriff root tells the story before he leaves that was in the gazette in indiana about a family that went to a fair with their two or three children the youngest went missing And the parents, frantic, left their other two kids with the pretzel maker before searching high and low, finding him by the teacups 30 minutes later. However, when they were celebrating, the other shoe dropped because they found the one boy two days later in a drainage ditch and they never found the other. The craziest thing for him, being a law enforcement officer, is that the pretzel maker worked in that park for 30 years without complaint what the hell is the world coming to what this story is stating is that sheriff root is incredibly terrified regarding the state of what the world is increasingly becoming he watches a lot of news reports he's even went up to jesse like you know (laughs) can't stop people from attacking the prairie dog because it is what it is or the prairie dog attacking the Native American. There's some racial undertones going around in this town. Uh, but there's also, you know, this idea that evil presents itself in a way that doesn't seem as if it's evil. And that's the worst part of this story is that this man was in this park for so long and everyone would trust him. The parents so easily trusted him. And look where that got them. I really like what they did with uh, Sheriff Root because he was just an obnoxious incredibly bigoted character in the novels I love the height difference as well between DeBlanc and Fior DeBlanc laments that they are running out of time when Fior asks them what they should do and that they need to try again with the can still in the church except this time as he reveals or Fiora reveals a shit ton of weapons there will be no surprises (laughs) of course the joke being (laughs) later on emily is hearing from mrs loach about the preacher's shenanigans showing up drunk wanting to pray with her daughter unannounced didn't even call that led to her daughter being able to open her eyes she's awake but effectively brain dead because she is missing (laughs) so what's the point of being awake if you're not awake but this is enough for the mother um her brother was totally taking photos that he was gonna put on facebook this is causing the woman to believe again as he said something would happen we see another surprisingly side to danny as he takes his son to or walks into the school bus something his mom usually does but he needs to have a talk with him and in an alley with the music all ominous, like something bad was going to happen. Plus, we heard him say, I'm going to beat that little boy's ass, even though I made my feelings clear about that. Um, he basically awkwardly addresses the fact that, you know, you might hear some things through the wall. Because the kid already knows, like, shit, he knows, I told the preacher. He, he's not angry at all. He's just like, look, um, adults are complicated. Like, I don't hurt your mom, unless you, um, but you know, I love her, and you need to know that. Uh, The son says that he beat up a kid bad for making fun of his dad. He asks what happened to the bus driver when he walks him to the bus, but then the kids call him Bunny. Make that sound. Hey, bruh. What? Oh,
1: my God!
0: Also, the bus driver totally doesn't recall the kid (laughs) at all. Like, is this your first day? No. (laughs) Pounding gets Cassidy to answer the chapel door where there's a coffin delivered. It's Tim's body. They left it just sitting in the fucking dirt. How rude. Emily shows up behind him. She was the one that was banging on the door. And she's also bitter and berating, telling Cass to take care of the delivery with the van. He says, I'm on it. She's like, it doesn't look like you're on it. I'm in my very on it outfit. And then she asks, have you seen Jesse? He was supposed to meet me in an hour. And then he could not help himself because she is all types of thirsty. But you couldn't wait. Shots fired. Cassidy finds clothes and a hat. And while <laughs> he also found a poncho. And while singing passes by, and doubles back to Jesse, sitting like a leper in the dark, smoking a cigarette. He emerges and tells him he needs to show him something. Meanwhile, on the way back, Tulip is pulled over for doing 115 and a 55, puts on a show of being a military woman going to help a friend to get out of arrest and likely other uh bench warrants that she has out for her arrest <laughs> on a very racist cop who clearly saw the negro in her before all the check marks were crossed off for him to let her go America, beautiful whatever his attitude girl you was being awfully snippy for going that fucking fast like seriously (laughs) i would have came out with the sweetness to to start off with i don't even know why you needed to have the bitterness in there jesse gives a demonstration of his power using it on cassidy he can make him hop and do other things like hop and tell him a secret which Cass admits that he likes Justin Beaver he can't get him to tell him things that he doesn't know though like what's the governor of Texas I don't fucking know he cannot fly but he makes some attempt to try to fly he says sing me some Johnny Cash and instead of Cassidy picking a Johnny Cash song he actually just repeats his words back to him which is sing me some Johnny Cash that's important to note because it shows what the power can do it also explains why when he says show her your heart and give it to her something to that extent he tim literally did what he said so it's not even i can make that. well it is i can make you do what i want but it's going to be the literal version of your words at king cannon meeting power we get a little bit more of the Odin-Kinghannon story. That kind of seems like a loose thread. I assure you, they, they do come together. Odin-Kinghannon is listening to animals being slaughtered while his secretary drops off a letter. <laughs> Cassidy tells Jesse he's either got a brain tumor to explain his powers, he got them from the government like Jason Bourne, or his personal favorite, he's a Jedi, He asks him how it feels, and Jesse kind of feels as if it's a curse, even though I don't quite see in this entire episode. Maybe it's the actor. It didn't feel like a conflict for him. It felt constantly like something he was enjoying, but it could also be the thing inside of him enjoying it, but I think that it's a little bit of a combination. Uh, Jesse describes it as a blender in his gut. With all of God's creation, light and dark. Cass tells him, while it's a curse, it doesn't have to be. Like I said, I'm not too sold on the whole idea that he felt any trepidation about it. Fior and DeBlanc are getting awfully tactical. (laughs) They got everything. Grenades, rocket launchers. (laughs) I'm surprised they'd have a Gatling gun back there. Um... Donnie is reading a letter from Jerry Cutler, who is with Green Acres, regarding some, you know, conflict between the businesses. Donnie asks what he can do to make the man basically back off, and Odin tells him he can clean his tray, which he embarrassingly can't do. And he tells him as he's leaving the room, a right hand man with no right hand. This is a trend I see in this town. And I think it's a, a commentary. I'll get to it at the end or wherever I put it in my observation notes. <laughs> Cassidy goes to incinerate the body of Tim. Love the flames in his glasses. He gets his ashes. I'm not sure why they needed to have a funeral for him and they have his ashes. I don't know how that goes. And spots Fior in. Well, he doesn't spot Fior in DeBlanc, he spots their vehicle. He gets excited because he's thinking, oh, yeah, I'm about to follow them and uh, take care of business. Think that they're more um, vigilante vampire hunters. Tulip and Jesse catch up on the highway when she uh, honks him over. Where he wants to tell her what's happening with him, but he only wants to tease it out. She's a little impatient and wants to entice him back to Houston. But he says he's done with that life and that he doesn't miss it she says you can't lie and say you don't miss it and he's like yeah maybe i do miss it but i'm done with it he wants to keep his promise and save the town else there will be consequences from god she scoffs at that because god is the almighty of breaking promises and he tells her she doesn't understand she's like oh what i'm too stupid not to understand i think that's a little bit of a telltale that jesse may have been the brains behind the operation whereas she's not regarded as quite that smart in quotation marks she tells him it is not a criminal life that she's after but justice uh, she holds up the paper that she got he mentions the name carlos she says that he is a money-stealing backstabbing child killing question mark question mark who ran off after some heist where it looks like jesse killed a guard she tells him the promise he made is a boy's promise and the town is past saving wanting him to assist her in killing carlos instead and here we go i think tulip's insistence that this is something that they do together combined with her conversation she told Danny I think she thinks that whatever went wrong in their relationship that doing this thing with Carlos is somehow going to fix that and it doesn't seem as if Jesse feels the exact same way he feels that maybe he turned his back on a promise long ago and maybe that led to his misfortune and that's why he feels you know he needs to come back and save this town and do that and maybe that would make up for something I'm not sure but Tulip's all about no let's move forward let's go back to what we know or what we were doing and it starts with this justice against um, Carlos just as um, Fiore and DeBlanc get to the church at the cover of darkness Cassidy runs them both over with the church van.
1: Surprise, motherfucker.
0: But then he recognizes their bodies from before, deciding to conclude that they're clones. When he goes to get the necessary items to bury said bodies, they reanimate in the church with Pior taking the beating. <laughs> he was hiding underneath <laughs> the pews. Like, no, not me. Before DeBlanc tells him they're not here for him, but the preacher he has the can bag and that he has something that doesn't belong to him while at a gas station tulip wants to break every bone in carlos's body to start off with then maybe something with battery acid as a uh, first course before getting him his chili cheese fritos which those are delicious jesse pouting because he's trying to tell her something as she's walking away from the car and then like this guy is honking at your girl like a rude ass and instead of having her back acts embarrassed by her behavior then gets all pouty and goes and has a leak i didn't get that whatsoever like maybe i guess tulip could have got out the way but like i was walking i'm having a con like you couldn't be patient for two seconds even though i guess she could have just moved out the way either way i know you could have gotten out of the car like a man <laughs> and now i have her like she was i, I loved her moment though she's like she walked in the car let's do this he's like are you serious yeah get the fuck out the car <laughs> i that is so my attitude when i see people i'm like no 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 don't talk that shit from the car come on get about the car why are you still in the vehicle <laughs> you're so big and bad you started this shit he goes to take a leak donnie meets him in the bathroom with a gun and using his power jesse almost makes him kill himself before having the revelation that this is how he's gonna get the town obedient starting with the town bully whom himself is bullied so it's a vicious cycle of southern manhood there's where i wrote the line (laughs) because that's very much this town of uh very stult masculinity the whole confederacy you know the pride of it all it's just this constant cycle and you see it played out through different characters and surprisingly you don't see donnie doing the exact same thing to his son maybe there is a little bit more of a a acknowledgement there and he looked terrified i mean he was just wanting the preacher to squeal to get his own sense of pride back and yeah he definitely deserved what was coming to him but preacher also took it a little further than it needed to be <laughs> considering he could easily also disarmed him he didn't need to put him underneath the jail if you know what i mean he then comes out and tells tulip after she asks, what were you boys discussing because she says hi to donnie so they know each other he's not leaving and she tells him that you know, I'm not leaving without you, he says suit yourself, before he, he walks away. He's not gonna go after Carlos, because that is for God. You. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Tulip choosing to beat the gas station pump instead of Jesse, as she really wanted to, was a mood. At the church, Block is explaining to Cassidy, if they don't put the thing back in the container, where it's supposed to be, then things are going to get bad. People are going to die uh <laughs> he's like so you're not a vampire i don't even know what that is <laughs> fior was so freaking over it and uh when they continue or at least when the block continues to put on the front they're from the government fior puts it bluntly they're from heaven cassidy offers to play middleman saying you don't want to come at jesse as hard because if you think i'm a problem he probably can really whoop your ass so let me play middleman Eugene is having dinner with his father, and he wants to go visit the roaches, but Ruth tells him that he's crazy, they'll kill him, and that the world is a monster swamp. Tim's funeral is dismal, but Jesse is committed as we end the episode with event closing. There are a lot of disparate notes um, within these last three episodes so i could definitely see if one was confused on (laughs) some of the natural direction i will say that the show does and continue to treat its audience as if it has read the comic book um it's not to say it doesn't give the details it's just you're going to be a little bit more behind if you hadn't read the comics with some of the things that are going on and the way in which they choose to introduce them while it isn't an absolute flaw it can certainly feel a little disproportionate until things start becoming a little clearer those are my thoughts on this third episode let's hear what the uh feedback has to say let's jump into the mailbag (laughs)
1: Christina is me, shy. I am here to talk about Preacher episode three. Um, this one was interesting, I will say. Um, it's a bit on the slow side as far as everything that's going on. I guess it was I guess more of the setting things up. I'm guessing, and telling more of the getting the pieces. In place, uh, I'm only guessing because, yeah, it was a lot of uh, yeah, just a lot of I shouldn't say a lot, but just different things happening that, um, I guess, like I said, would tie in at some point. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so we have uh, what's his name, Donnie, who is uh, <laughs> i guess he just he's feeling emasculated after what happened with uh with jesse in the bar so and we're seeing the aftermath of you know what's happening to him um in regards to people's attitude towards him he's walking around in his cast um you know the he takes a his son to the bus stop, and the kids, or even the kids are in on it, um, his son talks about how he had to beat up some kid, because they were making fun of him, and then when they're calling him Bunny Man, <laughs> on the bus, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and asking him to squeal like a bunny, so, yeah, and then he has his boss, uh, which, you know, strange boss, I'm wondering what's to deal with him uh asking him to you know take his you know tell him to take the tray he's not able to and like so much for my right hand man I'm like well he's his right hand is still fine it's the left hand actually technically speaking but yeah I know what he's trying to say that he's about useless and so I guess that just pushed him over the edge to where he felt he had to take Jesse on and uh, of course we got Jesse who's still coming to terms with his powers and what he can do um so he did get the girl to open her eyes but she's still not speaking yet so I'm guessing it's a slow process to get her um to fully be awake I suppose um and then we got the bus guy, forget his name, um, but uh, I'm still getting creeper vibes from him, uh, especially when he still uh, seemed to be have a that seemed to be fixated on Janie. So, <laughs> and that girl behind her just cracked me up. <laughs> uh, the girl with the attitude, like it's like the 900th time, like so. Um, so that was interesting so does it appear like it just took it didn't completely take away his urges is that what I'm supposed to take from that scene at least that's what I took from that scene um, then we got Tulip to, I mean we find out that she's trying to get information on Carlos I guess he's the third member of their crew who ditched him um, left him high and dry and she wants revenge. And she wants Jesse to be a part of that revenge. So I'm really trying to like. Uh, I mean I'm sure we'll get more backstory As to their dynamic. But it just seems like she's going awfully hard. Uh, to have, want Jesse to go along with her. And it's like. I mean I. And I I guess like. I'll just try to understand. I mean, I'm sure I'll understand more as time goes on, but it just seems like she's not being respectful for what he's trying to do and she's trying to push this agenda um, that is primarily hers at this point and not respecting that he's trying to take a different path. Um, So really trying to... uh, be patient with that and see where that's going because I'm sure it must be going somewhere and um yeah and then of course <laughs> when Jesse was telling uh Cassidy about the his powers which I found interesting that he opened up to him like that he barely knows a guy but um he was having him do all those uh, <laughs> different things, hopping on one leg, boxing, and then flying where he crashed into the, the wall. I busted out laughing when that, <laughs> I saw that scene. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> God, that was crazy. Um, then we see that the, the Ghostbuster guys are not after Cassidy at all, but after uh, the Entity that's within Jesse so they're hunting that down which we've which I figured but at the same time yeah I'm just I guess um Cassidy just happens to be in the way while they're searching for this entity uh and then the guy said that they're from heaven so that's why they're able to clone themselves so that should be very interesting um But, yeah, I mean, like, wasn't much to say about this one. I mean, like I said, it was pretty slow and not too much was happening other than, you know, the back, some more backstory and just things that are happening that I'm still trying to figure out what exactly it means. Um, But, yeah, that's all I have for this one. Um, Can't think of anything else that happened Um, just interested in hearing more about Tulip and Jesse's story and what's going on with this Carlos guy and who this Danny um, chick is and just yeah but it's only episode three so I'm sure we'll get there Um, just a slow burn right now um, in regards to everything that's going on well that's all I got. So until next time, much love, peace, and black girl magic, Queen of the Couch, Shy.
0: That was Shy's Thoughts on the episode, short and sweet. Um, I agree it was a very slow build-up. I think I mentioned that uh, just recently <laughs> about some of the components and how they're being worked. Um a few comments. I would say, um, and this is just not even a spoiler because we saw it last episode when she took off her wig that i mean although she's awake there's her brain is mush there's there's not much else she's going to be able to do than open her eye like she's awake but she's not there um she was not going to be there uh so i don't think there's much more (laughs) there is not much more that's going to happen with uh you know with miss the the, you know not the missus but miss Loach her daughter um so that's not a spoiler (laughs) uh Janie is definitely someone he'll never remember uh he he told him I think with the explanation of his power in this episode that when he says you have to forget her that's what he's gonna do every time he sees Janie um and he actually thought that was gonna fix the problem too that's another problem I have with Preacher's actions he's kind of half-assed um keep in mind she doesn't uh i guess you would in a sense i could see why you would say it's revenge but tulip doesn't call it revenge she's called it justice quite a few times to jesse which means she feels that it's a righteous thing that like this guy carlos he really you know what he did was so wrong that it's not even about revenge it's about um him atoning or being atoned for something that he did i I guess you can call it revenge i would call it revenge (laughs) but in her mind she doesn't see it that way and i think that influences some of her um her insistence that they do this together i think maybe when you listen to this potting you listen to what my take was on that um and it really is just based on the information we've been given up to this point i think all of that kind of makes a certain amount of sense we know that jesse's only been in this town for some weeks at the most uh so i mean it is a lot and i think we do have a lot more to discover regarding tulip and jesse and more about their relationship um but You can see it from anyone's perspective that even Jesse is saying, I want to do this. I'm committed to this. There's no actual commitment. (laughs) You know, he doesn't show up for his appointments. He oversleeps. I mean, if you're seriously committing to this the way you're wanting people to, you know, see you as committing to this, particularly your ex-girlfriend, the first thing you should do is probably actually uh, showcase that you are more than just putting on an outfit And playing a role that you're actually doing the work. And thus far he's not doing that work. He's I guess trying. But he's trying to in a certain extent that a child would. (laughs) But he's not really. Really putting forth some of the things. And he's got help. It's not even like oh I don't have anyone to to lean on. I don't have any assistance. Emily's right there. Um, So if he really wants someone to believe him he should make himself a little bit more believable um also keep in mind though jesse or not jesse tulip is a black girl and we've seen this town thus far and some of the racial undertones okay the racial undertones and that may be a, a explain a little bit of her testiness in regards to as well of needing to convince him to go but also needing to stay in a place where the closest thing she has to a home is is a place where her uncle is passed out drunk consistently and the whorehouse so i think we have a lot more to learn um about their history and i can't wait for you uh to see that because it is very very intriguing and that is it on this episode if you want to join in the feedback blackwellcouch at gmail.com you can send it in written or audio format my social medias will be below. You can comment there as well. If you have time, run over to iTunes, rate the podcast, leave a review. Until next time, peace, hair grease, and black magic.